Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Hannah had been mocked and shamed because she didn't have a son. She had no heir to carry the family name, as was the Jewish custom. So Hannah begged God to give her a child. And she promised that if she was given a son, that she would actually surrender this son to serve God in the temple in Shiloh. So God gave Hannah a son named Samuel. And Hannah clung to Samuel as long as she possibly could, long past what was normally acceptable. Finally, she took Samuel to the temple in Shiloh to be raised by Eli and the other priests. And Hannah's clinging there to Samuel, running her fingers through his hair and singing a song, a prayer over him. And then, where we pick up the scriptures this morning, they tell us that the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. We didn't hear this other part of the story. We really should have because it's an unsettling time to be ministering to the Lord, to be serving under Eli in the temple. There were ominous words that we heard. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There weren't many visions. For a people whose life depends on God's voice, this is not good. Do you ever sense this? That the piercing word of the Lord is too rare or too distant? Obviously, we know that God's Spirit is always speaking, always moving. We now have Jesus and the Holy Spirit always present in a different kind of way. And yet, do you ever sense that the word of the Lord is too rare in your life? Do you ever go long enough into this muted place to eventually find your heart yearning for God's voice again? Do you ever find your ears perking up? Do you ever have your desire for God's voice to start to kindle in you anew? Sometimes the word of the Lord is rare because apparently God wants to speak to those who want to listen. There's actually an unobtrusiveness, what G.K. Chesterton called a shyness even at times, with God and the Holy Spirit. God oftentimes chooses not to overwhelm. James Finley says, in talking about why we need to have time regularly to actually ponder, meditate on, receive the words of God in Scripture and prayer and with one another, he says, because that which is essential never imposes itself, but that which is non-essential always imposes itself. In the chapter of 1 Samuel, just prior to what we read today, we get more of the story explaining at least partly why the voice of God was rare, why the visions were so sparse. The ones who were supposed to be God's voice 
the ones receiving and sharing God's visions, they were scoundrels. Eli's sons, the assistant priests, they were crooks, they were charlatans. They were men who used their armed goons to steal the people's sacrifices to God. They cooked the books as they lined their fat pockets. They were abusers. They used their authority and their privilege to ensnare women, to use them for their own pleasure at night and then discard them like garbage in the morning. These priests, the ones who are the supposed spokespersons for God, make a mockery of their holy work. They were to serve the people and speak God's words to the people, but instead they were serving themselves and they were using God's words for their own purposes. You have to know then, when you read that part of the story, you have to know that trouble is coming. God is not going to let that stand. Apparently, our deluge of pastors and scandals over money, sex, and power, and it's interesting, this is exactly what we talk about in our rule of life. But this is not a new thing. It's always a temptation to sell the goods but not live by them to use people, to want to build a reputation, to want to be liked, to seek accolades. This is always, as a pastor, my temptation. Of course, I'm reminded that my ordination vows didn't have anything to do with being successful, climbing any ladder, being liked even. My job is to do the best I know how to listen to God, to listen to you and your life, and then best I'm able to let God's words be illuminated in me so that I can help God's words be illuminated in you. I mean, obviously, I fall short of this all the time. And God's mercy upon me when I do. Henry Nouwen, near the end of his life, articulated a core struggle for every Christian leader. He said there are two different voices, and he believed these were the two primary voices always in competition. One voice drives us to succeed and achieve. And Nowen said that for most of his life, that's the voice he listened to. He says he made lots of plans without God. He really wanted to aim for a prestigious post in a prestigious university, and he landed it. He wrote a book a year international speaking engagements about the spiritual life, but he said that his life with God was actually suffocating. That there was no intimacy with God. There was isolation from other people. But then he says there's a second voice. The second voice is the voice that invites us to listen to God above everything else. To know that we are loved without conditions, without performance, without achievement, that we have nothing to prove. Our hunger in this place is to recognize what God has to say, to see God in each person that we meet. Nowen says that this voice only became more prominent in his life because he only began to really listen to it about the last decade or so that he lived. But a man of God comes to Eli and tells him that judgment from God is coming that God would not turn a blind eye to Eli's sons. That the family line would end, the sons would die, 
and that those who were destined to be Israel's priests wouldn't be anymore. So apparently, it's really, really curious here, apparently we do have at least one word from God that's very plain, but it's not a good word. It doesn't feel like a good word. Sometimes when God speaks, it's not what we want to hear. But we need God's voice. Without God's voice, we'll die. So Eli was lying down in his room, and the scripture describes him in his old age as a man whose eyesight had grown dim so that he could not see. I wonder if the description is less about his inability to see the words on the page in front of him and more about how he wasn't seeing the reality around him. He wasn't dealing with what his sons were doing. He wasn't dealing with the way he was abdicating his responsibility. He wasn't being someone who was giving away the life-affirming words of God. He was blinded to it. So Eli was asleep in his room, and Samuel was asleep in his room. And the scripture says that Samuel is near the ark of God, the presence of God. And Samuel's dozing off when he's awakened by a strange voice. Samuel. Samuel. And Samuel says, here I am. And apparently, this voice doesn't say anything more to Samuel. Isn't that kind of odd? Samuel answers, but there's silence. And so he runs off to Eli. And he says, here I am, for you called me. And Eli, groggily, waking up, sort of dozing, says, I didn't call you, my son. Go back to bed. So he goes back to bed. A little while later, there's the voice again, Samuel. Samuel. So he runs back to Eli and says, Samuel, I mean, Eli, here I am. You called me. And Eli says, uh, what are you talking about? You're, you're dreaming. I, I, didn't, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Does it comfort you at all that Samuel, who would become the great prophet of Israel, had no idea when God was speaking? Twice. Does it comfort you at all when you find in your own heart, like, am I hearing God? Am I not? Is this God's wisdom for me? Is this not? And yet, this voice that we will discover, Samuel doesn't know yet, but we've read more in the story, that we know is God, that this voice from God continually returns to Samuel over and over again. It's true, as I assume, that God may not force his way, or impose, as James Finley said. But apparently God does intrude. <laughs> Samuel wasn't asking for God's voice. Samuel wasn't praying his nightly prayers saying, God, would you please come speak to me tonight? God had something to say, and God was going to speak. I don't know how to, to balance all these things together. I, balance is probably an overrated word. There is the truth that God wants to speak to those who want to hear. It's also true that it's really hard to not hear God because when God wants to be heard, God will be heard. The scripture says, this is the strangest place perhaps in this story to me, 
The scripture says that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Samuel didn't yet know the Lord. Now, in some sense, this had to be talking about this prophetic call, this ministry that he was handed to, to be God's spokesperson to the people. But it seems like there's also more going on. He didn't recognize God's voice when he heard it. He didn't yet know the Lord. And yet, do you remember how the scriptures began? That Samuel was ministering to the Lord? So Samuel was ministering to the Lord before he even knew the Lord. What? How was Samuel ministering to the Lord? Well, this is really simple. He was doing it with his body. He was serving Eli. He was bringing the old dim-eyed man food. That's right, good food. He was bringing food. He was picking Eli's clothes off the floor. He was sweeping the cobwebs out of the temple hall. He was kindling the fire. He was bringing Eli tea, probably with cream and a touch of honey. This was what he was doing. Contrary to popular opinion, faith is all about our body. It's what we do. It's not just that, but it's absolutely that. This dichotomy between our spirituality and the real stuff of our life, it will be the death of us. It's why we heard this strange scripture this morning in Corinthians, where Paul's basically asking the question, what in the world does sex have to do with our faith? Well, lots. Because sex is never just sex, and food is never just food, and our bodies are never just our bodies. Our body, Paul says, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In the same way that Samuel was serving God in the temple of God and serving Eli, we every day are serving God, as Corinthians concludes, with our body. It's God's temple. So let's throw out this idea that our spiritual life is only something deeply interior about our strange emotions or our future hopes, but has nothing to do with the practices of our hands and our feet and our bodies. So Samuel goes back to bed. Now we're on the third time. He hears the voice again a third time. And he goes to Eli a third time. And finally, Eli himself recognizes what's going on. Samuel, Eli says, this is a big one here. You're going to have to sit down for this. What's happening here is that God is talking to you. And you can imagine Samuel trying to adjust to this. So this voice I've been hearing for the last, this, this is the Holy One, the creator of the universe? Yes. What you need to do is you need to go back to bed. And next time you hear this voice, you say, this is what you say. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. We might say, I have no idea how to hear God. In one way, I'm sure it's really complicated because there's lots of other noises. On the other hand, I think it's really simple. 
We come with a posture and a heart that says, speak, God. I am your servant, and I am listening. And then we wait. We need the help of others to hear God's voice. This is why we're here together today, right now. This is why we're listening to God's community across time. Because hearing God is not a solo affair. Your private time with God is wonderful. It will not sustain all that you need to know and all that you need to hear from God. Some of our anxiety and our frustration in hearing God is because we believe that it's supposed to be a solo affair. And you've tried to do it for so long. And you sat there with your Bible and just your own ideas and you've really tried to hear from God. And you absolutely can hear God because Jesus is alive in the scriptures. But we need to be formed in a way of hearing by being with God's people across time and hearing the Holy Spirit through the voice of others so that we can learn to recognize this voice that we're hearing. And we need instruction. Here's what God's voice sounds like. Here are the ways you can start to learn to discern God's voice. Here's what to do when you hear God. One of my main jobs as a parent is to help my boys learn to hear God. And it's not rocket science. It's more about noticing. <laughs> you know, what, you're talk what we're talking about right here, that's, that's God. <laughs> you know that joy that you're sensing? That, that's God. You know the way your heart is being filled with this sense of love and hope? That's God. You know this, this uh, deep sense you have that there's something wrong and you need to confess it? That's God. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That is a powerful posture. It's addressed to God. It's asking God for very little in this moment other than to speak. It's not coming with lots of demands. It's saying, I want what you have, God. It's humbling ourselves and approaching God as the Lord, and we are the servant. And it's saying, I have an open heart, and I'm ready to listen. That is a fundamentally restructuring posture to the world. So Samuel goes back. He hears the voice of God. And he says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And God says, I'm about to do something new in Israel that will make the ears of those who hear it tingle. Isn't that an interesting phrase? But it's not all good news because God tells Samuel, everything that I have said before that's going to happen to Eli and his sons, it's going to happen. And Samuel does not want to tell Eli that. Of course he doesn't. But Eli threatens him. <laughs> and Eli says, all kinds of bad things are going to happen to you if you don't tell me exactly what God said. <laughs> and so Eli tells him. And did you hear Eli's response? What kind of 
of God does Eli know? What has Eli heard from God before? What has he experienced from God that his response would be, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. These are wise words of an old man who's seen much. It's a man who had forgotten for a while what it was that he was no longer hearing, the words of God. But these are the words of a wise old man whose ears and eyes are coming alive again. This is an old man who, just like a very young boy, is learning again to say, Speak, Lord. I'm your servant. And I'm listening. I don't know that there's a better posture for a church to have than speak, Lord. We're your people. We're listening. We don't have to have all the answers, God. We don't have to know our future. We don't have to be right about everything. But we must have your voice. Would you speak to us? And we're going to wait until we hear from you. Would you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.